people that would find themselves as misfits in any society or or just different you know that were not included or had to you know live their life underground found a safe home with with goth you know because it wasn't it, it didn't exclude anybody if you said you were in you were in you know and i think that's still the same thing that that's there so that explains why it's still going really What's up, everybody? It's Keefe from GhostCultMag.com, and I am honored, and I truly mean that, to be joined by founding member of The Cure Law, Tallhurst, and of course, Budgie, well, most best known from Susie and the Banshees, but personally, I love your time in The Slits. That oh was my one goodness. of my favorite bands as a youth. Uh, yes. Thank you both for being here today. I'm so excited to chat with you both. Very You're nice welcome. to join you. <laughs> we'll see. Um, first and foremost, we have so much stuff to talk about. Obviously, we're going to unpack this book that I'm holding, Goth, uh, okay. by Lal here, um, A History. Uh, this is your second book, following your memoir, Cured. And and Budgie, of course, wrote the forward, which I also love. And uh, so this book, there's been a lot of, you know, there's kind of a weird, mm -hmm. I don't want to say a goth renaissance, because mm -hmm. that's not fair at all to anybody, but there is a weird pop cultural uh, obsession with goth lately, the last few years, for some reason. Uh, perhaps it's, you know, the Wednesday series, the Addams Family series on Netflix. I was at the Sick New World Festival last year, which a lot of people talked about being heavy on new metal, but actually was a tremendous stage of goth and industrial artists also, and sort of dancey, sad, dancey music for sad people, as I like to call it. But um, this book is phenomenal. It's not super lengthy, but I really love the approach. And that's the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, Lol, is um, I love the, you know, obviously you're pulling from both of you, you know, the forward and the book itself are pulling from your personal experiences, but I love the sort of this, it's not rooted in, you know, fashion is only one element of this and, you know, that, you know, these iconic things, but I love the literature aspect as a writing nerd. I love that that's where you kind of, you know, pulled some of the basis of this culture came right. from art writers, people's affinity for art and writing, which is really, you know, was really pleased me that this is the, this was your approach. And I wanted to ask about kind of like, you know, how that started. Um, well, really, I mean, you know, that's, easy because that was that was the way that we started with the with the cure you know myself robert michael we were all uh you know for want of a better word literature nerds and that's what we loved and that's how we found the the way forward with especially after like the first album that's the sort of 17 seconds onward that was where we found uh um you know modus operandi i guess um you know, me personally, I, I, my my mother was the person that gave me, you know, the the love of the written word and stuff. So I, it's always been it's always been part of me. I mean, for this book, I had to think of a different thing because you know, the first book it's just you know you're just writing about yourself, so it's not that difficult. I mean, it's you know you can remember things and things you can't remember. You can sort of vaguely put together. Um, with this, I had to write a lot about other people so i had to have a template for the start my template was uh, a, a californian writer that i uh discovered a few years back joan didion and i loved the way that she wrote about uh like news news events and they seemed almost like noir novel pieces that she wrote you know there's this one story of uh a dentist being murdered by his wife in San Bernardino, and it and it's really 
you know, dark and mysterious kind of stuff. So I just sort of took the voice that she had for that and adapted it to this because, you know, I'm not I'm not a journalist and I don't want to be either. And I don't think I can be, you know, I mean, I'm not, this, you know, I, I farmed off all of the research for this book to my son, you know, because he's the one that has, you know, the degrees in English literature. So I knew he would be good at it, you know. But for me, I just like to, in the same way as with The Cure, you know, we just put the the, the ideas that are in these books are, were in part of our life. And then what was part of our life was the diary of our life. And that was the songs. So it's the same way for this. You know, I tried to put together because on, on when I finished Cure, I did like a big tour all around the place for several years. And one of the questions I got asked the most was, well, what was it like to be, you know, a goth person back in those times? Because, you know, this this wasn't around, you know, and there's a few pictures, but not some of the pictures don't really tell the whole story. Like, you know, I've got some pictures in the book that have um, pictures of the Batcave. And, you know, yes, you know, there's all people that we might think look fairly goth in there, but as Budgie will remember, there was a lot of people that didn't look like that at all. You know, they just didn't get photographed. You know, people were like, oh, that must be the goth look. So they take those pictures. So I wanted to kind of get across the idea of the in- inclusive nature of it, which also explains why why it's still going now. Right. And maybe maybe uh, part and parcel of that, the mm. outcome of that, goth- punk was not meant to be inclusive except of other punks. And it was very reactionary to what was going on at the time, both in the U.S. and England. And it does seem like these other subgenres and subcultures of people are much more accepting. All the misfits, please come on to me, goths and, you know, the new wave and post-punk fans and and people of those little scenes all seem to be, seem to get along, at least from what I can tell, as opposed to like punks, you know, if you're not one of us, get the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about it is, is for, for, for like the sort of, and I, I found this already because I've done a few events for this new book, um, people that would find themselves as misfits in any society or, or just different, you know, would, that were not included or had to, you know, live their life underground, found a safe home with with goth, you know, because it wasn't, it, it didn't exclude anybody. If you said you were in, you were in, you know, and I think that's still the same thing that that's there. So that explains why it's still going, really. This is probably a question I can pose to both of you. I don't want to say necessarily that goths are smarter, <laughs> but again, we talked about these literary bases. It's not just the dark and the macabre that obviously everybody's attracted to, because everybody, we are all fascinated with death and, and things like that and, and the dark side of life. But I do find it interesting that there's also, it's not just Poe and it's not just, you know, the, you know it's not just these uh, horrific things, but Eliot and things, this like very deep and soulful poetry is also some of the basis of this culture and music and so maybe this is something you can both reflect on. It's not just everybody wearing black and being sad. It's also it's all myriad of human experience that I think goth encapsulates. Uh, any ideas, fellas, buddy, maybe? I was, as you were talking, I'm thinking of um, kind of what you were saying. Um, there was a uniform for, you know, the, the King's Road punk that the tabloids kind of elaborated. And it was almost immediately there was, the, you know, the kind of kickback against that. But it was, I suppose, um, when music, were, as we started to be making music, it was, and you said, just mentioned the dress as well. And, and I was suddenly realizing that if I looked at early Banshees, you know, I was struck by uh, Kenny and John 
uh, the original guitarist and drummer, who were besuited, were very stylish, but it wasn't punk, and it wasn't what preceded it. There was a certain nod to a certain period of Bowie, maybe, but it was a, a kind of... And it wasn't Kid Crayle on the Coconuts either, you know, so it wasn't like a zoot suit. But you couldn't just step into a, a store and find that clothing. You had to be piecing it together. And it wasn't Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's latest creation either, because that went on to be, you know, Bow Wow Wow or wherever it was in mud they had. It, it was somewhere, it lay somewhere else. It, it wasn't uh, rooted in the street movement. It was, as we've kind of alluded to, it was a more thinking person. There, there was more, it was kind of bringing your inner knowledge to, to the fore. And it manifested in many different ways. It was. Um, it came out in in drone music. It came out in an appreciation of the Velvet Underground, but not necessarily a continuation. And I think there's a lot to do with that. I think the way the cleverness of Wire, the the smartness of their approach to to their to lyrics and the visual approach to the music and and the the, the scenes they set. I think of the psychedelic furs and the. The, the cinemascope stuff they were working with and the, 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 the subject matter, it was much more vast being, uh, you know, on the dole in Ipswich. Sorry, Ipswich. Could be anywhere. <laughs> Norwich, yeah. Norwich. Yeah. of the century, yes. Yeah. And and that it's it just, as I'm just sitting there because I've not pondered on this. Lol has. I, I, I'm just musing on a, a on what you, you actually what, what's coming at me and it was that it's like somebody mentioned i went down to see a, a, an exhibition here in berlin uh, last night just by accident it was at hypnosis and it was all the album sleeves from that period in british but there was a guy here in berlin called mark and mark was kind of from from manchester and kind of that kind of era same era as i was in and we always bumped into Mark, when we came over early gigs in Berlin or, or, or Belgium, and there was a lady called Anique, and um, who was linked with Ian Curtis, I think, with oh, no. New, with New no. Order. And, you know, Join Hands, the album, was in that film that um, Anton Corbijn uh, put together, you know. And, and, and I, I realized there was this breaking away, this, if you like, new culture was finding its, its feet and it's it's I feel like it's it's players from very diverse walks of life, you know, pulling in photography, film, literature. Severin was the film archivist, and Susie was the avid reader. I just played the drums. <laughs> uh, you, you did so much more. Yeah. The other the other thing, and you sort of alluded to that was was the subject matter was a greater consideration thing. So I, I did something, I'll tell you a funny story. Last couple of weeks ago, well, no, it was about a month ago now, I was in New York and I did a, a book event for, for Goth. And um, at one point I, I said to everybody, yeah, you know, none of us is getting out of here alive, right? And there was a deathly silence because they all thought, and I went, oh, no, no, I don't mean I'm doing anything here. You know, it's just, it's a fact of life. No, the doors are locked. Yeah, <laughs> this is it, folks. And my finger's on the button. Yeah, yeah we just, you know, we, we're all existing <laughs> here right now. But the thing is, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, modern music and everything just sort of ignored that point. A lot of modern life 
period just ignores that like yeah yeah we're all gonna die one day but you know meanwhile we're gonna dance you know and that's fine as well because that's how you know you have to go along but the thing about goth was it considered those points and it gave you some kind of uh you know acceptance of what you know the other side and people would always say to me you know early on with the cure they say oh you know you make really dark depressing music and people must get more depressed from it and maybe in fact you know maybe they do something bad to themselves i said no that's completely wrong what happens is people find that stuff and they find an ally and they find some way to relate to their own feelings and it usually helps most 99% of the time it helps and I, and I always find people tell me that and you know for for me I I'm humbled and flattered that that is the case but I know it's the case I I've yet to meet somebody that comes up to me and goes oh yeah you know my my grandmother killed herself cuz she listened to one of your records it's like no that's that's not going to happen you know mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's the opposite so you know I I think really it's an acceptance of where we are in the world which brings naturally brings gravitas to it and also brings in all the art forms because a lot of them have considered those things a long time before you know the music started right i think lucky for us we almost everyone i know has found relief in your music relief in in the music of the cure relief in the music of Susie and the banshees and all these other groups and joy division and obviously the most famous case of ian you know so sad and and so young to to give in to his demons but joy division and and vis-a-vis gave us new order that has healed and mm. helped a lot of people one of the and, and that kind of helps me with my own segue because i'm that kind of guy the middle section of the book has these incredible anecdotes from shows and a little you say you're not a journalist but there's a very analytical take on some of this music and these releases and these events maybe these keystone events cornerstone events in the scene if you will if that's accurate tell me if i'm not please correct me if i've got that wrong um but yeah i love this these these deep even though it's in brief pages it's very deep and and well uh, you know uh executed analysis of these things that have helped propel this forward as a culture and so i really want to say thank you that's my favorite part of the book is that center part of the book the the uh i did find you know obviously the 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 introduction is your life story also a continuation if you will from right. but i love that middle section and all this great analysis i think that's the thing that fans are going to gravitate to i believe when they pick this book yeah. up to read it yeah that's the, that's the best kind of part of it for a lot of people yeah that's what they like they like that section of it which is 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 good you know the end section which is about you know where things are going now and stuff and that it's like i can have a viewpoint on it but i don't have such an experience of it you know for that i had to lean on my son you know because he has a greater experience of that you know what's going on with it i mean you know it's like it's funny you know at my age you find a lot of people come up to you that are your age as well and go conspiratorially like oh there's no good music now and i go well yeah no you're wrong you just don't know where to look you've forgotten how to find it but i i have an instant you know connection to that because i just call my son up and go great what should i be listening to what's good what's 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 what do i need to hear and so i find it from from him um so that's how i know it's still going on uh yeah i mean the center part is really this the story of it it's extrapolated from my own experience but it's really the story of of what happened in those you know early 80 years and early 80s years and um you're right it has more analysis it has analysis because all the main players i i know personally so therefore i have a much you know 
I don't know, more personal view, you know, about it all. Some of the first things, you know, although I can walk down, you know, two miles from my house and see the wall where Jim Morrison's poetry is wrapped around the police station on Venice Beach, I don't have an experience of that. I just have, you know, the experience I have now, which is why I sort of describe like the area is still like that, the 1970s. There's still this sort of wafting of patchouli oil, you know, in among (laughs) the the hip hop guys and giving out their CDs and stuff. You know, it's like, it's still there. It it hasn't left. So I'm a great believer that that, uh, places have, you know, they they soak up whatever happened there and whatever oh my God. you know they yeah. they give it out which is you know obviously you, you want to you walk the streets of Berlin you well, yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's what I was just thinking it's, about that. it's yeah. heavy duty it really is You're, if ever it, that could describe this place in one sentence you know it absorbed so much uh negative or positive energy um and it it just um it it hits you in the face each day you know if you're if you're awake if you're aware of it i think there's maybe that as well yeah i always think like you know big cities and that and you know when i go to uh, most big huge capital cities or whatever are very similar they're cosmopolitan places they have everybody from all over the world but i always think to myself if you walk along a street where it's like a you know a, a main street like oxford street or something that if you look in london if you look along just at ground level you see all the usual culprits you see mcdonald's you see all the different stores and stuff and it just it could be anywhere it could be anywhere on the planet but if you look up a couple of block you know a couple of floors higher Mm-hmm. That usually tells you the whole thing because that none of that ever changes. You know, when they when they decide they're going to make a new store, they just go, okay, this part. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I, when I'm going to a new city, I never look at ground level. I'm always looking up around me, see what's up there, what they haven't changed. You know, what's still got that stuff in it. Yeah. I just have two last questions about the book before we talk briefly about the album. Uh, first of all. Uh, and shout out to Venice Beach, one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, <laughs> both of you have remarkable recall, uh, considering everything we've all been through in life. <laughs> yeah. Not just the years, but just life, right? Happens at you and to you. How do you account for this? You know, the, I appreciate your son's help with this this book, Lol. Yeah. Your recall of firsthand accounts yeah. are so compelling. And same with you, Bungie. Um, how, do you, how do you account for this recall? Like, I'm fascinated yeah, that yeah. you can have these moments... Most of it's live. We just make it up. No. Um, Which not, answer are you going to give? Yeah. <laughs> no. I think the thing is that we sold our soul. Yeah. As you get older, your recall of events 30, Ooh. 40 years ago become much more uh, crystalline and clear. You know, whether or not they're the real version of it doesn't really matter. They're your version. They're what, how you remember it, how you recall it. Because everybody, you know, recalls things that I, I, you know, I defy anybody to remember what they spoke about yesterday and remember verbatim the words. You can't, it's impossible. So, you know, I think, I think it's really that, that just you, you, you know, my, my old um, literary agent used to tell me he would never commission a memoir from somebody who was in their thirties. He said, because they're too close to the stuff, whatever happened to them in their twenties, they don't remember it right. They, they just forget all of this stuff and it's all through a different kind of lens so, you know, I wrote Cured when I was in my 50s and I had a good viewpoint about it because I, I could, you know, by that time, all the whatever pain, anguish or or ever parts of my memories were were gone and I could look at it very clinically. Um, 
I think the same is is true for, for what I did with Goth. You know, I can look at all those things and think, okay, this was what's important about it. Um, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I can pretty much remember, you know, 30, 40, 20 years ago quite easily. <laughs> is that is that just I'm sure you see, I think you've just answered one of my that that short-term memory becomes less precise and important. But yep. I wonder. Had we continued our lives on the track we were on, yeah. Bob, because this is what we've realized since meeting, um, after all these years of, of being in and out of each other's lives, that yeah. we both put a kind of a, a full stop on the lifestyle we had yeah. at, at, at a point. And we're both far enough away from that point. And yeah. I, I think there's a certain amount of clarity from stopping a certain amount of damage. Well, yeah, I think, we, you know, for me, speaking for myself, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be here if I'd still continued. You know, I think I think, you know, I would have shuffled off the mortal coil quite a few years ago. So, Hence, yeah, yeah, cured. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's um, and it's, it is amazing the clarity one can achieve. Yeah. It's not just remembering it's being there. You just kind of go, yeah, and you're back in that room. One of the things I found very um, surprising, and I'm sure that Budgie's finding that now because Budgie's in the midst of writing a book. Um, mm. Out the bag there. Um, yeah, you know, when you start to think about those things, and you go, oh, "How am I going to remember what happened that year?" And you remember one thing, and then they're like dominoes; they start to fall one after the other. You know, I, for me, when I was writing Kill, I would wake up in the middle of the night and. I think that's what that happened. That's what went from here, you know, and I would remember something and I think, shit, I've got to write it down because if I don't write it down now, you'll go back to sleep and it will, it'll be gone. But I didn't write it down. You know, I, mm -hmm. I just I'd turn my phone on, spoke into it. My wife would wake up, go, is it something wrong? You know, she'll find me mumbling into the phone. I go, no, I just got to remember this, you know, and after a while we got used to it, but it was, um, you know, put earplugs in. But um, yeah, you do, you remember a lot of things and that was... Part of, of writing the book was I decided, you know, I'm getting up to you know, past my 50s and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to uh, go into that good night, you know, like sort of, you know, I, I, I don't want to go without having having done as many things as I think I could do. And, mm. and so that's why I decided, OK, I'm going to try and write a book because I had no experience in that. And it was kind of terrifying at first. But now... You know, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to get on to the next one because I love it as much as I like playing music. You know, it's the same feeling. It just just takes a little longer. Oh, that's a neat little segue. If I've right, ever had one. Right. Yes. I, and I, by I, the way, and by the way, I was about to say, uh, Budgie, we we'll look forward to your book uh, tremendously. But yeah, me I'm, too. I'm, yes. You're getting you're getting quite good at these, lol. So I want to uh, encourage you yeah. to please write another if you can. If you've got anything more to say, we want to hear it. Well, I, I, I got I got plenty more to say. Whether anybody listens to it is not. Well, well, I'm here. I'll I'll be I'll be ready to do another chat, but we're not done yet. Let's talk about Los Angeles. This new record that also came out the same, right? And basically aligned with the book within a few, you know, a month and change uh, with Jack Knife Lee and a, a plethora of artists and friends. So that's you know, first and foremost, the record's great on its own. But I love these guest appearances. So I mm. wanted to ask if you both wrote with guests in mind, or wrote with them, or wrote for them. I, I'm curious oh, I to see. know that. I suppose the simple answer would be, oh no, but <laughs> the, but but it, it, it can't be that somehow because I think we believe in a greater depth than that, and we're so 
As somebody just, as somebody who was posing the question, uh, just uh, uh, do you feel telepathic after this uh, experience together? You know that drummer's thing of not having to talk too much. Yeah. And I wonder, I just wonder how we caught people in a moment in time when they were open to suggestion. And so, did we write with them in mind? No, we're not. But we fell into line. I think. Um, that's the best I can describe because I can't dis I can't otherwise explain how how seemingly we were all very simply put on the same page. How oh Ian brought his book just fell on the floor. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. Yes, you got that bit wrong about us going to the music machine together. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure he did. Um, but it's just that it's uncanny. It was uncanny that the way that the lyrics and the vocals came back as they did from the people we put out feelers to uh the people that responded with positivity responded in a way that just took us to another place which is where we couldn't have dreamed we would have got to as we we thought we're best we're coming out with an instrumental album with maybe a poem right well yeah yeah i mean you know we were we kind of did it like the way we first you know any musician first starts playing music with other people you sit in a room together it's more of a social thing you sit in a room together and somebody's like plays something and you go oh i've got mm. something to go with that or maybe you don't even say anything you just start playing with them and that's the way we made this record because you know we we had a sort of a not a full start but we had an idea when when budgie was on tour here with john grant and uh, my friend Joe said, "Oh, I'm going to go and do an interview with Budgie." I said, "Great, I'll come and come along and, and talk to him because I haven't seen him for a while." And we went for a lunch or breakfast or something, and there was me, Budgie, my friend Joe, and Kevin Haskins from Bauhaus was there. And I sort of know Kevin a, a bit at that point, and Budgie knew him a bit. And we we sort of said, "Well, maybe you know, we were half sort of joking, like you know, forget like the three tenors, let's have the three drummers, let's do something like that." And so we did, you know, for about. I don't know how long did we do that for? Do you remember? Oh no! I mean, we we were we were writing. We got kits together. Then we took all that stuff to, brew, and then we just went on a little, little like reclusive trip, didn't we? And cooked we for each other. Nice trip onto the middle of California, Central Coast. <laughs> a friend of mine, another drummer. Well, it it couldn't be more removed. Well, we ended up can be more removed yeah. from that. The idea we were pursuing at that point, we ended up with Lonnie Holly. Who I didn't, I wasn't familiar with. I haven't hadn't heard of yeah. of Lonnie, and so it was an education, and it, and you know, an amazing story comes to your table, and and we still haven't met. Although I've played drums with Lonnie's voice, totally a cappella, just on a on a, on a, an extension of this project. Um, but uh, you know what happens with that, I don't know. But it was it was an uncanny meeting without meeting. And yeah. I can only explain if you actually transmit that back to the album. It was not like it was as if we had been together somewhere and and come up some with some of our best collaborative work. Uh, I, I mean, one of the, one of the ideas as well, I think, is because it was the pandemic. You know, you have to remember we started all this stuff just before the pandemic, and we had recorded things, and then you know the world shut down. And you know, I I live in a fairly sort of uh, genteel neighborhood and you know during the day because you know i'm either here or i'm on the road you know there's there's two things that i do and that's it um so i'm here a lot of the time during the day and i would go on uh 
you know, a daily walk or something. And normally I see nobody, you know, like everybody's at work doing something. But during the pandemic, I would see people, you know, like after two months, their minds are blown and they didn't know what to do by themselves. They're making wood projects in their garage and things, you know, that stuff. It, it was it was crazy. But for us, and I think for a lot of other musicians, it was just a time to like, you know, be with yourself and, and think about stuff. So we got a lot of people that when we approached them and we said, look, we've got these tracks, you know, do you want to see if there's something you could uh, put on it? And that they were open because they weren't on the road. They weren't doing things, you know, they were just like, yeah, okay. And most of the people that we sent it to, I mean, I can only think of a couple of ones that would, didn't work out, but most of it worked out. And I think that's like the collective collective mind was the same you know in lots of ways so that's where the the synergy comes for me that it 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 was natural you know for a musician to be at home in this great worldwide pandemic to write about something that's a bit more dramatic than maybe they would normally do because that's how the whole world felt i mean isn't it amazing how you know now it's it's only like you know last year that it kind of petered out a bit and nearly everybody's forgotten you know really sort of sort of thing it's like there's no there's no news about it there's it's like it's gonna go away i always think of that stephen king uh thing that was it the langoliers langlier you know they're eating time is is getting eaten up as it goes you know behind the past being eaten well exactly that's just what i got <laughs> anyway um yeah so it's the same thing maybe that's it law maybe there's a moment in time though we we've captured it forever um and because we didn't send songs out we didn't send verse chorus in the middle eight we just sent out an idea and and we didn't get back just a sketch we got back kind of things that really had construction and 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 we were able to uh, decipher them you know because no there were no clues there was no um this is what we're thinking this is where we'd like to go we would like you to adopt this voice rather than that one you usually use there was nothing like that it it begs the question doesn't it if we if it had to be the pandemic to make this out what what are we going to have to happen for the next one or is it on its way already? You know, well, I thought you'd I thought you'd got it with the uh, the room in the uh, you know nobody gets out here. <laughs> we yeah. just invite everybody to the studio and say, okay. Hey, you know, I was going to ask, how does you... recording? Yeah. <laughs> right. I was going to ask. You mentioned Lonnie. I was. How does one ring up the edge from you two or Isaac from Modest Mouse or Mark from Idols and say, hey, would you like to be or Arrow? How would you like to be on this track? Or do you just you know? match people with the music you already started to make how does that happen um total collaboration that people had worked with people um jackknife of course is connected and he hit geographically edge is like uh, two valleys over two, yeah. two so it was kind of transferred by pigeon you know or smoke signal yeah. and he he knew what we hit. I think people started to become aware of what Jackknife was, what was going on at his place. And some people said, I'll pop round. And other people said, what's going on? And I think that, I think Edge was one of those, what's yeah. going on? And others were just as blatantly asking people. And Arrow was in that group because she was local and um, somebody knew where she was so we could get the word out yeah. and uh, and she was up for it um others... she actually went to the studio one of the few people that actually went yeah. to the studio didn't send their their work you know by i mean obviously you know people like 
Bobby Gillespie live on another continent, so you know you have to do it that way. But um, I, I'd recently bumped into Jack, uh, to James and Bobby on tour with their respective bands around Europe, and it, they were actually the first meaningful conversations I've ever had. James for the first time, Bobby for the what for you know, clarity for the right. first time <laughs> in a long time of meetings. And it wasn't like, hey, we're doing this project, you know. It was just a meeting, a meeting of minds and a, and a kindred spirit kind of feel because I met a lot of other people that I wouldn't have invited to anything I was doing. <laughs> no. Nice. In, no. A, in, a, in addition to this uh, beautiful gumbo of these tracks, uh, you know, it's hard to encapsulate everything that is L.A., a wonderful and frightful place at the same time. But I love the lyric, and I'm going to sum up the interview here with this question. I love this lyric that Los Angeles eats its babies. Um, it's awe, it's awe-inspiring, but it's also like, wow, right? It's, yeah. it's very impactful. So I, I think that's a, you know, I know you're trying to, you know, the whole record makes a statement kind of, and the city is complex and life is complex, but I love that line in particular of all the, the whole album. It, it's, it's powerful. Uh, Powerful yeah. performance. It's, they're powerful, poetic lyrics. They, they're, they're kind of larger than they. They're it makes the tracks. They're larger than that. They are the sum of their parts. Um, perhaps it is something that describes Los Angeles in a, in a way that we never thought. You know, you mentioned Joan Didion. Yeah, and just the things that she sees and the things that she was able to put together that formed a much bigger yeah. version well, of the event she was describing, like you mentioned. Yes, and I mean, in the end, what we're doing is using it really as a metaphor for what was going on at the time, which was, you know, hey, are we all going to be stuck at home forever and ever and ever, and is this the end of the world, you know? So uh, it's it's kind of all in there. And it comes from the strangest of places. One, one of my favorite tracks on there that was kind of almost, you know, took me completely by surprise was Pan Amsterdam because it, it's like, it's so melancholy. Like the, the, the sound he gets with his trumpet and just like the lyrics and uh, just so, so melancholy. And uh, we're going to talk to him next week. So that's going to be fun for the, for the podcast. We, we have never met, we've never spoken. But we, but we know him well. A strange way of yeah. knowing somebody. Uh, maybe that's it. It's a kind of that thing you you feel you know somebody through what they've given to you. Yeah. A lyric, a poem. We're talking to uh, Mark Bowen, who put the guitar on. Uh oh, and we we spoke with Mark just last night, and it's lovely when you can just connect on on a, yet another level. I'm just, you know, I just feel so full of gratitude just so fortunate to have met these kindred spirits i'd call them other musicians but people who allow themselves just to be and see what turns up and not make too much of a fuss about it you know and that i think is the key to the success of this project because it's already successful regardless of what happens next well said well said it's a good place to stop gentlemen thank you so much for this conversation uh in reverse order the album los angeles is out now from lyle tallhurst budgie and jackknife lee but of course yeah. we were also here today to talk about this amazing book thank you hachette publishing for sending me goth a history thank you for this book thank you for this new music uh thank the mm. both of you for joining ghost cult today i really appreciate it and be well and we'll see you in the next one i hope Thank you, Keithy. Thank you.